Hi, I'm John O'Scott. He's Ben Strivens. Hi. And we, we watch, watch anything. anything. We trawl the depths of Netflix to find three films of the same genre, of the same genre, and watch them so you don't have to. I take one, he takes one, and there's one we both watch. So you know what to add to your queue, or flush down the loo. Oh yes, it's still there. We still have not changed the intro, but <laughs> I have I have high hopes that it's coming. Someone out there in Nissanland, get in touch via Twitter at we watch anything or email us we watch anything at gmail.com and let's kick that intro to the curb. Let's show it yes. who's boss and try and choose a new one. I agree. Please, please send us in something, anything. <laughs> right then, Jono, we're here. We're back again. It's episode mm. six, and this time it's a disaster. Disaster flicks. Yes, so um, it was my job this time to choose the films. I chose the genre as well, so we went for disaster films. Now, um, I should say that I didn't want to do Sharknado-y type films. They had to be proper disaster films. And yeah, it seems I like actually... there's an awful lot of that kind of stuff on, on Netflix right now. That sort of Sharknado. I think even like Sharknado 3 is on there or something. Yeah, t- I think 2 and 3 are on there. I'm not sure the first one is for some reason. Although I may be wrong. But either way, I mean, it's, I mean the play, it's got loads of those types of films. And it has got disaster films on there. For example, Titanic's on there at the moment. Um, <laughs> Which is bloody It's disastrous. definitely a disaster film. <laughs> but I actually, I did struggle to find them. Um, but I I'm still glad I went with it because... Um, it, got, it really got me thinking about disaster films because... Now, I, I just want to raise this point before we go on because I was just thinking about all the films that I grew up with, like mm. Poseidon Adventure, Towering Inferno, and those yeah. dreadful sort of airport 76, 77 ones. Oh, and Airplane, which I know you know is a spoof, but that was the first film I saw you know, in the cinema, which I think is quite a cool film. That is exceptionally film. cool. I think mine was Flash Gordon, which I'm going to kill. Is oh, that's cool, cool too. too. That's but, cool, yeah. But Airplane was on the other day, and... I love Airplane. I, we mm. know we love Airplane. That's fine. But you watch it again and you just go, I'm sorry, that's still funnier than nearly any no, I've ever seen ever. But I just think the, the thing about it, though, is that um, I think, I do think, though, that it seems particularly funny because they did such a good job of casting. You know, they cast the kind of actors that were in the film yeah, they actually yeah, yeah. were lampooning. And that's what made it so, that definitely added to it. But one thing I should say is I saw it so young that it, I, it, I didn't realise it was a comedy. I still remember the childhood memory of the bit when the when the bloke goes, it's over there by the baggage lauder, and um, makes a plane go into yeah, some yeah. glass or whatever. And I remember that bit, and I remember thinking it was a real disaster film or something. <laughs> so that's how young I was when I saw it. But anyway, look, the point I wanted to make, we yes. totally digressed already, was that these these ta- these disaster films, the classic 70s disaster films, are in ways... Um, horror by stealth, if you know what I mean. As in, my yeah. point being that, like, they're show they used to be shown at quite family friendly times, like Sunday afternoons, and like, or, or you know, times when like kids would still be awake. And like, some of the stuff in Towering Inferno, which was definitely, you know, it is one of the best ones, is really disturbing. And like, you know, like I said, I just sometimes wonder whether my love of of horror films all comes from seeing these films, which do have, you know, they have really disturbing bits. Well, look and at the Poseidon think... Adventure. You're trapped yeah. upside down in a ship. Like, it's claustrophobic. There's like, there's, yeah. there's a, it's almost like a like a, a zombie movie, in a way. Yeah. Bear with me on this. Because, yeah. like, yeah, it's a very it's very claustrophobic. There's a foe that you can't argue with, which is constantly chasing you, the water. 
Yeah. And um, it's a normal band of survivors who are sort of uh, clumped together trying to defeat the foe. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, the, and the, when I was in Towering Inferno, I always remember a bit... There's a bit when the panicking um, people, that they're being told that they can't use the lifts anymore, but a whole load of them do. And then you see the lift doors open, like a few, you know, in the... Mm. I just remember it really disturbing it could be a me when I was very film. young. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I just think it's just interesting. And, and, and yeah, so it made me think, what is it about disaster films that you want? And you kind of want, you want drama... You want spectacle. You want big stuff, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And you and, and you want to feel a bit disturbed, and you want to feel that impending doom, and you want to watch panicking. See, I you think know, people panicking. This is my problem with um, things like the sort of the latter um, Emmerichs, like Twenty Twelve. There is no yeah. sense of real jeopardy or fear there. There is stupid large boat things made out of a cliff. There's the annoying yappy dog. Brilliant, they got that trope in there. And there's John Cusack the mincing around. Trope. I know you do. You're a terrible person. Um, <laughs> and there is all you know. There's there's kind of all these awful elements that just really don't add up to that much jeopardy and that much fear. Yeah, but I think though even bad ones like that because I agree that one was bad although I don't think I think I kind of just switched off my brain and quite enjoyed bits of it although the arcs at the end are awful yeah but what I love about all those films those Emmerich films is is the scenes you get near the beginning when a scientist or whoever is trying to trying to persuade people what's going on you know like yeah. in the day after tomorrow which, which I, think quite, is quite I will one. I will day after tomorrow is ridiculous but I did really quite enjoy that yes yeah, like the scene, the scene near the beginning of that mm-hmm. when Dennis Quaid is trying to persuade, say this is what's happening, and there's always a point where someone says, "So is this is this three years from now? No, this is three seconds from now, or whatever." You know, yeah, I really like always... those bits. Anyway, so we, we didn't watch any Roland Emmerich movies, but no, um... we watched we watched. Right, so this is the thing. This is this is this is what I love about disaster films. They're horror by stealth. I think they're. I think some of my favorite films are disaster. So I went in there thinking, "Great, I'm going to choose three disaster films." But like I say, I found it quite difficult to actually find some. Yeah. But I found, I chose, well, shall we talk about mine first? Are yeah, you yeah, ready do. For me? No, no, go for it. K- kick into yours, John. What, what, did you, uh, what did you give yourself? Well, I gave myself When Worlds Collide mm. from 1951. This is, I was really excited about seeing this because it's definitely a film I'd heard of. <laughs> I was so um, unshocked when I saw that. I was like, oh, look, John has given himself a film from the 50s. <laughs> I know. I just. I. I do. I think fifties might be my favourite era of film. But um, anyway. But you know, I hadn't seen it. I knew and bloody blah, blah, blah. So I was looking forward to it. Um, so it's it. It definitely is a disaster film. Although it's definitely it feels a bit like a classic sort of fifties science fiction film as well. Cool. But um, there's a huge planet called Bellus, right. which is on it. Which is basically it's turned out scientists have spotted it and it's on its way to Earth. It's going to hit the Earth and it's also got near it a small moon a more earth-sized moon called Zyra so it's this dirty great planet I think it's you know it's supposed to be a really massive one like Neptune size yeah is coming towards us um so it's going to collide with earth and break everything um but there's a chance that Zyra will be habitable so the film is all about the f some efforts to build an, an ark a spaceship so you know like um 2012 a spaceship <laughs> on which a small band can escape and and hopefully start a new life on Zyra. That's I mean, their that's, plan. To be honest, that's, a, that's pretty epic for a disaster movie. It's not burning building, sunken ship. It's the entire planet. 
Yeah, there's no messing about. This is a global killer, as they say in whichever one it is, at Deep that's, Impact. Or oh god, I can't remember now. No, that's that's an Ellie, isn't it? In Deep Impact, in the extinction oh, yeah. event. So, in terms of the disaster that this film delivers, there are sort of two stages because about a third of the way through, before Bellus hits, yeah, Zyra Zyra passes close enough that it's um, gravitational pull um, yes. sort of gets in our gets in our grill so to speak and they're so like there are all these earthquakes floods volcanoes and tidal waves and that all happens in a big sort of like five minute segment about 40 minutes into the film so so that's like uh oh this is really happening kind of thing um and then so right at the start there's a sort of um deep impact style scene where the scientist is going over his findings and he and he knows this is going to happen and he sends and he's going to send off his findings to a colleague for verification kind of okay. thing. And this is when we meet our hero. Okay. So the film is all seen through Richard Durr. All right. Do you know Richard Durr? No, I don't, but <laughs> no, I, I hope you're going to tell me about him. <laughs> Richard Durr plays a pilot. I forget the character name, but he plays a pilot and he's just basically in charge of flying this, this scientific stuff across the world to, to check with some other scientist dude. So okay. right at the beginning. So, so he's the rugged... does it, Sorry, does this start off in America? or? Well, it actually starts in South Africa, but okay. it soon transplants to America, I think. But anyway, he's he's an American. He's a sort of rugged everyman type. And so, you know, he's been... His fate has dropped him into the path of this plot, if you see what I mean. Yes. And then um, the the main plot strands are the, the sort of... There's the initial struggle to persuade the world that what is predicted will come to pass. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's quite a major plot with this sort of um, wheelchair-bound industrialist who's a really nasty character. Oh, I do love an evil wheelchair-bound industrialist. (laughs) (laughs) And he's going to fund the Ark, this this spaceship they're going to build, but in return for a place for it. But definitely within the film, he represents sort of all that's bad in humanity. You know, he's like self-centred. He's convinced that the world's going to turn and try and, you know, you know, he, he has a very dim view of humanity. How big? Um, sorry, just how big is this arc going to be? Uh, well, it's not. That's the thing. So it's not that big because then there's all this stuff about drawing lots to choose who's going to be on board the arc. Mm. And you know, you know, I mean, I mean, basically, the final inside of the arc spaceship looks like a. It looks like the inside of a, of a large schoolroom. Brilliant. So we're, we're talking about forty people, not like seven hundred people. <laughs> Yeah, I think a little. I think it is supposed to be a few more than that, but yeah, it's a small arc. But that, but that's the thing. The idea once the the whole <laughs> world believes, arc. <laughs> once the whole world believes that it's going to happen, yeah. Then the idea is that all over the world these arcs are being built, built oh, okay, by fine. different space agencies. Very much but you like never see that. Yeah, but you never see that. You only see the story of this one arc. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and the other major the story arc, are, as it were, the story arc. Thank you, Benjamin. Yes. Um, so yeah, in fact, the drawing lots of who's going to get on board the spaceship is quite a major part of the plot. Mm-hmm. And then finally, there's a love triangle between the pilot, um, Richard Durr, and the daughter of the scientist and her boyfriend, a doctor. And there's a sort of love triangle. Okay. Thing. And that's the main. That, that's basically. Is, is Richard that... Durr more a bit of a, um, a sort of Indy Jones kind of figure? Is he quite rugged and or um, what's well, his face? Indy... Michael Douglas from Manchin the Stone kind of thing. Yeah, no, I'd say Indy Jones is actually quite good. Although, I mean, right in the beginning, he has a line where you know he sort of says, "Hey, I don't care what I'm carrying; it's just all about the money." Oh, so he's so he's Han Solo. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, 
I mean, he's definitely a sort of, he's a rugged, quite practical dude. But this is, okay, this is the whole problem. I'm going to cut to what's one of the problems is that I I, I have a really big soft spot for this film. But yeah. Richard Durr <laughs> does his best to spoil it for me. Because he's just, you know, like Hayden Christensen, you know, poor little Hayden Christensen, Look, Christensen just... It's just such a sort of vacuum, and he's just—you can't look up to him. You can't—you can't relate to him because he's—he's just not cool in any no. way. Richard Durr. <laughs> Although I'd like to point out that he is by no means the doofus. only thing wrong with that movie. Oh God, no! All those no, no, movies, no. yeah. No, I totally agree. But Richard Durr is just—he's a bit of a bug-eyed doofus. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's like I, I re- okay. So one of the things I really would recommend to people is that it's if if they're going to see if they're in the mood for this kind of film is that they should watch the first five minutes because there's this really funny kind of um, voiceover by a narrator. Mm-hmm. You know, that, it's like that that era of film where it's... Yeah. Sort of, so you've got the panning shot of the stars and the voice sort of goes, needles in a heavenly haystack. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I know, and it really made me laugh. And and, 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 it, and it goes on like that. There are more stars in the heavens. I'm not going to do my American accent. Yeah. But then... <clears throat> Then so you have that, which is great and really funny. Then there's a short scene with the scientist discussing what he's about to discover. And then you meet Richard Durr for the first time. And he's flying a plane (laughs) with a girl who he's sort of canoodling with while talking to the control tower about whether he can land or not. (laughs) That sounds quite fun. It's just something... (laughs) <laughs> there's something really laughable about it but I must admit the first time I watched it I go oh god I don't like this bloke I watched the beginning again and I found myself quite liking him so I think you know maybe he's a he's a grower <laughs> but um, oh but his, his acting's not bad by any means but it's certainly quite um, oh I don't know it's quite telegraphed or something you, you, you can tell at like, this point he's I'm been acting yeah, you can tell, oh, at this point he's been told to look confused and then slightly annoyed or something. And you can write, you really see it happening. I feel like Mark Wahlberg in The Happening. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Mm. Um, I've, I've not seen The Happening yet. Actually. Oh my God, that's a disaster. Like in Is it every terrible? way, shape or form. I really want him to make a good film. I don't know. I, I, I've, I've, I still quite like Signs. I think oh, the first Science half is the only, Signs the only is one of his I really like. Yeah, yeah. But, anyway, yeah. back to this. Okay, so... There's, I found this film. I must admit, it's only it's only an hour and twenty two minutes long, which is but, cool. Which is a nice short film. Actually, for a disaster but, movie, that's exceptionally short, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I and I did. I definitely liked. It. I had a lot of fondness for elements of it. But I also, I don't, I don't know whether this is going to be a recommend. You know, I did find it a bit of a struggle to get through. Well, as it's a, I'm, I'm kind of interested because, you know, the, the golden era is the 70s, isn't it, really? Or the mm. late 60s, early 70s. And, and this is very much predates it. So does it, I mean, do, do you see any of the tropes sort of being born here or sort of being echoed later? or what do you? Well, in ways I think you do, yeah. And I do think that's one of the interesting things about it. Because like I say, the, the, the very first scene after the, Needles in a heavenly haystack. Um, right after that is a bit like that the scene right at the beginning of Deep Impact. Yeah. There's definitely a, there's a scene when um, the main scientist is trying to persuade a whole load of um, international delegates that this is going to happen. And that's definitely, it feels like a precursor to the scene we were, you know, from um, The Day After Tomorrow. Or yeah. All those films, you know, where someone's trying to persuade people, sceptics, that it's yeah. going to happen. So, yes, it, it did in lots of ways. But it definitely, by the end, it stopped. It stopped feeling like a disaster film, and started feeling like science fiction. Mm-hmm. It's produced by George Powell, who the year before did um, 
Destination Moon, which okay. I must admit I've not seen for a long time, but I really liked as a kid. Mm-hmm. I had it on video and I watched it more than once. And that this felt, you know, this, more than this once, film. Eh? Yeah, no, that's you know some films you do just watch once, don't you? But I definitely like Destination yeah. Moon to to multiply person. And then um, two years after this, he made. Did he produce or produce and direct? But he did War of the Worlds, and then he did the nineteen sixty time was, machine. That's what you know. That when you were talking about the needles, and you know, that's War of the Worlds was kind of like it was, was sort of sounding a little bell in my it, head. exactly. So the the thing is that if you put those four films together, so so Destination Moon, this one when worlds collide. War of the Worlds and Time Machine. Mm. Those are four films, all of which George Powell's involved in, in, either produced or directed or whatever. But the thing is, I would say out of these four, out of those four, this one is my least favourite, I think. Because I quite like that 1960 Time Machine. Um, Yeah, I like that. that. Partly because it has the sleazy writer from Seven Year Itch, the one who goes inwardly, (laughs) downwardly in it. Um, And and while this... and So, so yeah, uh, basically, I just think this film does feel like a B-movie, even though it definitely wasn't a B-movie. You know, it had quite a big budget for its mm. time. This won, like, um, an Academy Award for special effects, which does seem quite laughable, because some of the effects are rubbish. <laughs> I mean, the bit, the bit I said about 40 minutes in, when, when you see, like, a whole load of volcanoes and tidal waves, yeah. that's all model work, and it's quite, you know, Obvious perfectly work, good. But no, but it's, it's okay. But, okay. like, you can see bits of string on, you know, that classic thing where you could see a little bit of string on the spaceship like, yeah. towards the end. And when you think, like, Forbidden Planet was only you know, three or four years after this, I think. Yeah, yeah. And the effects in that look amazing. You know, they still stand up really well. Um, but either way, I still, I really like this film, but I just, I did find the main guy just really hard to root for. Um, and then when I was, I was do, did what I always do with these is that I like, I researched it afterwards. And it's definitely worth watching in terms of like a few trivia things, you know, like in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which I think Trekkies generally think of as the best of the, the first wave of Star Trek films. Apparently there are two containers in one scene labelled Bellus and Zyra. Oh, cool. So inspired by this film. That's quite cool. In LA Confidential, the movie premiere pop bust scene. Do you yeah. remember that bit? Yeah, yeah. When Kevin Spacey's drawing out those people, that's told in front of a cinema showing the premiere of When 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 Worlds Collide. Oh, is it? Which is quite a cool little fact. That is a um, cool little fact. And oh, there was another one I was going to mention. Oh, where was it? Oh yeah, I just I can't remember. Do you, are you a fan of um, Rocky Horror Picture Show? Yeah. In science fiction double feature, they mention mm. a whole load of films, and yes. this is one of them. In the very last sort of line of the second verse, it's uh, when worlds collide. Said George Powell uh, to his bride, "I'm going to give you some yeah, terrible yeah, yeah. friends." So yeah, so that's quite cool. You know, that's another reason perhaps to watch. That's a that's a brilliant reason to watch it. That is my number one reason right there. Actually, <laughs> I know. So, so I suppose. I mean, there's lots of goofy sort of fun, you know, and I think yeah. for history on the screen, it's great. And there's some like overacting, there's some clunk, but there's some good stuff. And like the, the sort of the, the, the climax is kind of amusing. I don't, not amusing, but kind of satisfying in a strange some kind of way. I was, oh, and I was really proud of my, you know, when you, you, you spot an actor just doing something very minor in the background and you go, oh, that's someone from someone. And you're right. Yeah. I'm particularly proud of this one. <laughs> Again, in the first 10 minutes, there's this bit when the doofus hero is um, on a, on a passenger plane and a um, stewardess serves him, and she obviously fancies him, you know, just basically trying to make sure that the, the audience know, by the way, this bloke is attractive, <laughs> despite all the evidence of your eyes. But, um, but it's Casey Rogers, who's the wo- who plays um, the two-timing wife who gets murdered in... Um, here it comes, here it comes, Strangers on a Train. 
Oh, really? Made the same year as this, 51. So I was, I must admit, I was really... Because she's only on screen for a second. I always I always associate that movie with you for some reason. I think it's really? you introduced me to it or yeah. something. But I always think... You know, Strangers on the Train always makes me think of you. Yeah, that's cool. That could be because we killed each other's wives. I'm not sure. <laughs> B minus, C plus? Where is, where's he going to sit? I'm going to give it B minus. Nice. Affectionate. I like it. Mm. <laughs> okay, well, so you had um, a kind of... Uh, supernatural disaster, I guess. Oh. The movie you gave me was a full-on, straight-up natural disaster. Although, fast-forwarded, what, like, 60 years from yours, I think. Was, what, what, what was yours 1951, did you say? Yeah, 51. Hmm. So mine was 2014. Wow. And while we're on numbers, it's 10.0 Earthquake. Yes, the world's <laughs> most catchy title. 10.0 <laughs> Earthquake. Um, I love that title. And, as the name suggests, it's about an earthquake. Actually, the movie opens beautifully um, for a disaster pick. It's kind of, it's classic. It's small location. There's two guys um, at a drilling station kind of thing. And um, one, it starts off with one dude in a trailer playing Jenga by himself, which is just <laughs> the saddest, loneliest thing they could have come up with. He's really chuffed to bits that he does. Like he gets like the perfect Jenga tower. He's <laughs> by himself. Um, no one he, else to witness it. And he goes down to see his his um, chum in sort of the under the ground in the drilling station bit. And um, a very things go south very quickly. You know, gauges fall off the wall and fissures open. And one of them then one of them gets crushed to death, and the other one gets a uh, a spanner in the head or something. And like you know, okay, so we know it's beginning kind of thing yeah so like let's say we got the title 10.0 earthquake we know this is going to be about a big fat earthquake um and so we go straight from this kind of like these guys squashed in small land to helicopter shot of la it's like okay fine we know it's going to be an earthquake we know it's going to affect los angeles essentially that's that's what what, what we've got like there's an earthquake coming it's going to affect la there's um these drilling stations sort of kicking around outside um with our hero in charge of him to a certain degree. He's a geological engineer. Of course he is. There's some other geological engineers. And uh, what we find out is that these earthquakes are coming and they're being caused by fracking. Oh, really? So it's all a bit sort of zeitgeisty. Oh, fracking How is bad. very topical. How very, very topical. <laughs> um, the fracking is being done to an illegal depth by a nasty right. man. Oh, and, I hate uh, those nasty so men. So it's going to cause... A 10.0 earthquake. And to give us our nice bit of jeopardy, it's not just the city of LA that's in danger. It's not just the faceless mass. It's also the daughter of our lead character. So it's a race against time to save the city and to save his only child. (laughs) He's uh, he's kind of aided and abetted along the way by his estranged wife, which is always a nice, like... They always seem to be slightly split up. Yeah, and then they get back together. It's all like a kind of thing about like, oh, nuclear family's the best, get back to it kind of thing. You get that. I don't think they do get back together necessarily at the end of this, but they work together to rescue their daughter from peril. Um, And rather brilliantly, Jeffrey Jones as a mad scientist. I love him to such a degree in Ferris Bueller. Oh, I love him in How the Duck. In, I love him. Yeah, love in Howard the Duck. And I really love him as well. I mean, he's one of the many brilliant things about, here it comes, here it comes, I can feel it coming from the back of my brain. It's a title, 
Sleepy Hollow. Oh, yes. <laughs> I really love him in Sleepy yeah, Hollow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know he's only another one of the characters. No, 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 in but it, I but... love him most in How the Dark. Hmm. Okay. So, yes, so Jeffrey Jones, uh, who's had, you know, minor problems or major problems, not sure which, really, but is in this as uh, as a properly mad sort of scientist. Because you always get these sort of crazy, loopy geologists who are warning about the end of the world. Well, he is the mad scientist, really, isn't he? In in Howard the Duck, yes, isn't he? Yes, a sort yeah, of yeah. mad scientist. Absolutely, character. it's almost like yeah. he's marginally typecast. But he, um, <laughs> but he's like, uh, it sort of transpires that he, we 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 see him interact with various figures in authority throughout the movie, mm. and uh, actually one of the um, one of the best in gags in there is he's like one of the guys goes, "You are the man talking about the tornado full of sharks." So they do do like a little tip their hat to Sharknado. He's like, yes, it could have easily happened. So they do like a little tip, tip its hat to like the new, the new wave. But this one very oh, much stays within the classics. Now, this is, this is not a big budget movie. Um, okay. It's directed by a guy called David Gidaldi. Gidali? Gidali? I'm not sure. Who was mo- seems to be mostly a VFX artist. So I think this is a bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, uh, like, oh, cool, let's do a disaster thing. And I know some VFX guys, we can get this. Um, and frankly, the effects really are better than they should be for the kind of the money that obviously was spent on this. He's kind of got right. a, um, he's got a DP who's really excited about himself and occasionally just lights things far <laughs> too moodily. There's the bit when um, the geologist comes to his ex-wife's house and walks through the door and it's a bit like the alien spacecraft has landed outside. It's really dark in the hall. There's a massive shaft of light through the front door. He's covered the whole thing in haze so it looks like she's had a chip pan fire or something. But it's actually just a little normal house in LA. It feels to be full of smoke and light from uh, alien spaceships. But in general, like it, it's pretty it looks, it looks, you know it looks sort of TV movie-ish but it looks like quality TV movie-ish yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. And the rest of the... Um, and the writer, I looked this up, a guy called Alex Greenfield. So I was like, oh, what else has he done? Because there's, I'll get into it in a minute. There's some, there's some great moments of comedy in here. Like, when I say great, it's not Lauren and Hardy. But there, mm. uh, there, are, some, there are some good, solid comedy moments. Um, and I looked at his credit list, and it's mostly WWE. He was like the head writer for WWE Smackdown for ages. And I was like, oh, my God, it's Barton Fink. He's been making wrestling <laughs> pictures. That's awesome. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so so we've got our basic plot that uh, the the earthquake is coming. It's a race against time to both convince people that the earthquake is coming, and to stop it happening, and to rescue the daughter. Uh, there's a lot to get in. There's a lot to get in. The um the convincing people is less difficult. They've got to convince one of the people they really have to convince is his evil boss who's fracking too deep. So our main our main dude is a. Uh, this guy called Henry Cusick. My brief thought Cusick. No, no. Um, but he uh, he looks a bit like the guy who, um, oh my god, I cannot remember the actor's name for the life of me. But in Seven, yeah, it's the dude who's put in the knifey strap-on suit. And oh him, yeah, he looks yeah. Like, he's in a million things. He looks quite a lot like him. I did yeah, sort of double. He got really sort of wiry, kind of. Yeah, looking, slightly right? ratty, yeah. but. Um, what is his name? I can't remember for the life of me. It's anyway, just... We don't need to remember that, but yeah. Oh, and um, he is. Uh, he's got. So that he's he's he works for the, the evil fracking corporation, but he's a good person. And there's the U.S. Geological Survey, who are who've no, who've noticed the um, the fault lines and stuff. Now we notice that as the viewer, through a series of hilarious events. So obviously we see our first little bit at the beginning, but then it does that great sort of disaster movie thing, jumping around L.A. 
um, and there's a bit on the beach where like there's a surfer who's just standing there and suddenly a sinkhole just opens up and swallows him and his mate gets out of the water and just goes dude because <laughs> his buddy's just disappeared with the surfboard and there's a guy this is an awesome shot of this guy who's um he climbs up one of those I don't, they must be palm trees i'm not good at tropical trees but um he climbs up this humongously stemmed thing with no leaves on it you know the leaves just at the top like a palm tree um to do a bit <laughs> yeah. of shut up to do a bit of, sorry dude <laughs> Yeah, part, he, he climbs, climbs up this thing to do tree. some tree yeah. surgery, and he's 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 nearest the camera at the top of this tree, and like there's five trees going behind him, and they just sort of slowly start wobbling and disappearing, and you can see it coming towards him, and then it's like a, ah, as he falls off. <laughs> that sounds fun. Um, there is oh, the best actually. There is one of the best bits of impending doom I've ever seen in any disaster movie ever. There are these um, Playboy types with sort of uh, you know bikini clad girls in a hot tub outdoors, and you can see the valley just stretching out beneath them they're one of those like kind of you know hot tub off the ledge of the like an infinity hot tub sort of thing yeah um, like my back garden you mean yeah very much like your back garden only slightly <laughs> you know less stylish um and the guy who's obviously the rich sort of playboy was like hey girls you want some more champagne go and get a bottle so this girl goes into the house to get a bottle and it's just very cool wine cellar thing um she comes back and the entire hot tub has just disappeared wow because it's fallen off the- that's cool actually i haven't seen yeah. that before i like it We've got essentially some quite good deaths. We've got um, there's a great death and someone gets killed. A uh, a couple who are doing the the horizontal mamba of love oh. uh, get pierced by a stalactite in a cave as it falls down, which is quite good. And it's just what they deserve for premarital sex. Um, <laughs> uh, and lots of yeah, the effects are, the effects are generally pretty decent. There's this is sounding good. This is sounding like a recommend. Am I? Uh, look, it's I'll. I'll... <sighs> Yeah, sorry, I don't want to preempt. Carry on, carry on. Listen, also, you know, you're in LA, so they have the obligatory scene in the drainage culvert, you know, the Terminator oh, yeah. 2 one and the Grease yeah. one. Um, yeah. and, drive one. Sorry? They use it in drive as well. Yes, and drive. Um, with the fault lines sort of like cracking along that as they chase along, cool. which is quite cool. And then there's just one really bizarre bit as the earthquakes intensify and LA starts getting smashed. There's this bit when three skyscrapers are on fire, but they're on fire at the top. And you're kind of like, but the ground's cracking (laughs) and all the flammable stuff should be sort of... Do do they keep fuel tanks on top? I don't know. But there's these like three burning-headed skyscrapers and they've done a great job making the fire look all fiery, but I just don't really know why the tops of the sky... It's like they've got fire hair. I don't know why they've got fire (laughs) hair. Um, Essentially, you've got this relationship with the father and his, his daughter goes into the forest well, into the hills around LA um, with her friend and a couple of date rapists, essentially, which is an awesome plot. And um, that's where all the, the bad stuff is happening. And there's talk, there's briefly talk of a super volcano that's going to follow the 10.0 earthquake, but that sort of dies down. Um, right. And obviously, you know, I don't want to give away the ending, but you can probably imagine how, how things transpire. But basically, the father has to go into, the father and, and the strange husband and wife team have to drive off into the hills to try and find their daughter, who luckily has gone camping just around the corner from where the drilling stations are. So oh, they get good. to sort of go looking for her and then try and do the last-ditch effort to stop the bad uh, blonde-tips man from drilling even deeper into the Earth's crust <laughs> and fracking. Oh, and there's an obligatory nerdy kid who, to battle expeditions the whole thing, 
And he oh, goes, good. Oh, fracking. Yes, that's the process whereby you do this to gas and then pump water in. Do, 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 do. And they go, oh, yeah, great. Thanks, nerdy kid. Huh? <laughs> I've done that one plot thing. Ticked. Um, but all in all, basically, it's just, it is quite. And then you've got Jeffrey Jones just um, spewing out, like, mad scientist lines. It's basically really quite fun. I really enjoyed it. Oh, and there's a dog. Oh, good. Um, good, good but the good. dog is never in that much danger. It just sort of, uh, its owner gets killed in a comedy way. Oh, it's another good, full of good deaths. Um, no, it does sound like the deaths, you know, if you're just if you're just in the in the hunt for some good, fun, silly deaths, it yeah, sounds quite absolutely. good. absolutely. There is an awful lot. If you're a fan of Red Bull, there's an awful lot of Red Bull drinking as well. I think they may have put some money into it, not sure. Um, it's just all these scenes where someone just stops and drinks a can of Red Bull. But yeah, basically, it's great fun. Um... I'm going to give it a solid C purely because it's nowhere near a great movie. But mm. it's nowhere near a terrible movie either. It's, it's not a B. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't give it B status. I'd feel bad, especially, you know, other things I've beat up. Um, this is a solid C, but it's a really good fun C. It's a, like, it is a Tuesday afternoon or like it's, 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 it's an afternoon. I've got nothing to do. It's raining. I fancy watching a silly disaster movie. Let's do this. It understands the genre. It understands the tropes. It hits them yeah. all. And um, there's a great, some, some great overacting, uh, some gratuity, some stupid lines. And once again, Jeffrey Jones and a bunch of deaths. There, there, are, there are many worse. I would definitely say watch this over Sharknado 2. Yeah, okay. That sounds cool. I'm really, I'm enjoying the levels of 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 warmness towards I, this film, I enjoy and I totally agree. Deal. This is a great. That's that's exactly the kind of film you know. You, you give it a C, yeah, but it's a warm C as opposed to a cold shoulder C. Oh, it's definitely like right I mean. now. Yeah, it's a C with you know with 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 yellow around the outside and red in the center, not a blue and green one. It's <laughs> yeah. a nice, warm, glowing C that yeah, it's a C you could cuddle up to on a yeah, rainy afternoon cool. and just enjoy yourself with. But well, you, I'm glad, and as well, I'm glad just because, as I say, my my film was definitely a disaster film, but it definitely sort of had a slightly more fifties science fiction feel. But I could see that your one was a looked like it was supposed to be a proper science um, disaster film, and it sounds like it totally was that. Yeah, as I say, like which it hit all the tropes. It knew what it was doing. It knew disaster movies. It went start small, go big, bring it back small again. Wider yeah. thing, v- villain, and yeah. Which brings us to though, dude. Our third film, the one we both watched. Do you think the one we both watched, which let's just get in the title right now, it's Bug from 1975. Which is quite important. 2006. I know, so for a second I was like, oh, the freaking movie. I haven't seen this. I didn't (laughs) know that was a disaster movie. Oh, it's not the freaking movie. It's my No, it's 1975, Bug. And do you think it's a disaster film? Well, in many ways, no. I, this is exactly what I discovered because the thing is right just just to defend myself for choosing it yeah it the, if the plot the back of the video plot synopsis is an earthquake hits wherever and bugs come out so you kind of think okay earthquake disaster movie bugs come out that made me think oh like swarm because swarm, swarm definitely feel the swarm with Michael Caine yes. definitely feels like a disaster it definitely film, does doesn't and it? them no, the big yeah. mega ant yeah, yeah, yeah. that definitely feels like a disaster movie too in a, but in it's, fact it's a creature disaster movie but it's, it's a disaster movie I'd say yeah yeah, but this one, in fact, quite soon you realise... It's oh, not a it's, disaster. <laughs> it's much more of a horror film. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I like I like what you th- I like your thinking. It just, yeah, it never goes beyond... You know what? Well, okay, so here is the here is the thing as well. It does sit on that boundary, and as a mm. modern 
I'd agree, easily the most obvious thing is tremors, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Creatures are terrifying a small community. Although, strangely, not that small, because it has a university. But they are they're essentially terrifying a small community. Um, mm. And it doesn't quite hit that disaster. I think, I think you do need... I don't know. What what do you think? What what needs to? It doesn't have to. I guess you know. The side and adventure. That's a pretty small community. There's people on the ship. Um, I think. I, 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 I think that's got a small like... community. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, something like a 10.0 earthquake. Still the world's most catchy title, um, which threatens a whole city. But it. I don't know what 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 takes it out of the realm of being entirely. I guess no, it's hard to. Put, I agree, it's hard to put your finger on why this isn't a disaster film, but it definitely isn't. I mean, it turns into really quite a. You know, it's it stops being about a population even and starts being about one man. But before yes. we go on any further, I suppose we should let's just give a bit of a plot synopsis. Sure. I think it's it's very much a movie in the line of them, Piranha, Tarantula, um, arachnophobia a bit, arachnophobia a bit. Yes, mm. yeah. Oh, God, I love arachnophobia. Not as- yeah, not nearly as good as arachnophobia. No, that no, that's the any PG that's maybe jump in the cinema, I think. But <laughs> yeah. um, but essentially, it's it's small town America, um, yeah. somewhere it feels is it Arizona-y? I'm not sure. Not sure. But um, somewhere cheap to film. But it was a yeah, it was it was a, it seems like a small community, although it lives it's a small community with a university attached. Um, an earthquake. Athens, opened. Georgia. No, it might be yeah. An, uh, <laughs> Let's just Sorry, say place names in America. <laughs> Maybe it's Kansas. San Diego. Capeche. Um So an earthquake opens a fissure into the earth, and yes. uh, people start to notice that there are some sort of weird stone-like things that turn out to be cockroaches that mm. then people further notice can create fire. And a yes. series of uh, sort of terrible accidents occur with people getting exploded and burnt due to the fire cockroaches, um, culminating in... The uh, uh, well, leading leading to the professor of biology at the university taking an interest, and ultimately culminating in him becoming slightly mad and twisted and trying to engineer a new breed of cockroach for no <coughs> apparent reason, yeah. with and, and, predictable, and, disastrous consequences. Yeah, although that's the thing, that sounds like the setup in ways to the beginning of the disaster film, but what you. You've just ba- that's basically the plot of the film. The disastrous yes. consequences come right. It at is the end. like this five so basically, minutes this is the thing, consequences. Straight when I first started watching this, I thought this is feeling not. I don't want to go on about the disaster versus horror film too much, but it felt like a disaster film. And I thought, oh, this is good, it's because it gets right in there almost straight away. The first scene, you're in a church, yep. and and an earthquake strikes. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it all gets going straight and away. Very but, soon after, someone gets blown up in a car. Yeah, that's the funny thing about these bugs. So yeah, basically they look like cockroaches. They are cockroaches, and and they and they can make things explode because they've got little burny whatevers. Um, um, but it's mostly because they like to eat ash. Yeah, it's not yeah, because the, this is this is one of the things I, I I kind of like I initially sort of was was marginally struggling with with it. I was going, <laughs> and and that actually I guess made it more disaster movie. It's like they're not evil, they're just hungry. They just yeah. sort of they just cruise around. And they happen to kind of go, oh, yummy, let's turn this into ash. And that happens to be a car or a person or <laughs> no, a cat. No. Um, exactly. As well, because like, the thing is, there's just nothing frightening about them because no. they were really slow moving. <laughs> and as well, they, like, at first, at least, they just appear to be a weird like little 
harmless little insect that just has a thing against cheap pickup trucks. <laughs> and I just think, well, I don't own a pickup truck. I'm fine. There's a really just... harsh moment, though, where like one of them decides to kill a cat. And this dude just and watches yeah. it, set fire to the cat's head. And, and this yeah, is a trope yeah. which goes on throughout the whole movie. We go, just just take it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people, yeah, that's right. So basically there are a number of scenes, sort of frightening scenes, where you, the viewer, can kind of see that a character has picked up something which they haven't noticed, but you can see has a big bug on it. And usually it ends up in their hair or in their face. But there's a lot of kind of, ah, running around. Without... It's not like they've got, like, they're not limpets. <laughs> they're cockroaches. What do you do when a cockroach lands on your hand? You go, ugh, you, brush you, it off. You bat it away. And it's and not like it, these things it's... are the size of your foot. They're the size, no. of, they're a couple of inches. And what you do is you reach up and you put it off and you take it and you put it on the ground. Like, I know you can be a bit, kind of, a bit befuddled by something trying to set fire to you. But then mm. normally your reaction when something tries to set fire to you, and I know mine is, is to remove it from me. <laughs> But yeah, they don't seem to go for that, these people. No, no, they seem to just do, they go for quite a long line in. It's trying to set fire to my head. I think I'll just run around until it succeeds. <laughs> but the thing is, so, so I guess the other thing to note about them, so the idea is that they, they're, they're obviously they're subterranean insects, insects hitherto, or hitherto, whichever it is, you know, unknown to, to, to man. Mm. Because this, new, this earthquake has opened up and yeah so we've not seen before and they live in higher pressure don't they they live oh, under yes. greater pressure and that's one of the keys and for whatever reason I didn't quite get it because I, I think I just sort of slightly zoned out during the plot when they delivered this this fact but for some reason they basically they're going to die out naturally after a bit of like fear yes. and a bit of stuff well, they, they, they're going to die out naturally as well because they cannot reproduce and for some <laughs> which makes no sense how are they what, I don't understand then how do they how do they get there no no they no can't they, they can't reproduce at the pressure at that level oh that makes sense then yes but what doesn't make sense is why the sort of well, the biology professor is obsessed with trying to make them reproduce you just go these are horrible creatures just let them die but for some reason but this is the, okay so I don't want to give away too much of the plot well we've already given away quite a lot but um, I mean he his wife dies, doesn't she? Yes, and that's what sort of flips him over the edge into weirdness. But way before then, he's just become slightly obsessed with trying to make these things reproduce. I guess yeah. maybe he wants to study them or whatever, but because um, he gets sort of brought them by his sort of classically sort of 70s, slightly hippie-ish looking student dude. Or just yeah, oh, not well, hippie, like... he just looks like he's straight out of days confused. Um, yeah. And uh, and then he's just got these firebug things and he collects them. He's like, brilliant, let's just try and make them shag. And you think, well... Why? And he becomes what really obsessed by it. <laughs> I know, but this is the thing because I was thinking this film could be renamed "Grief Makes You Do Crazy Things" <laughs> because because that's the whole thing. The, the whole thing is that it stops being about a, like a disaster, like a, you know, um, any kind of like um, tremors on a community thing, and starts just being about the descent into madness, more or less, of one man. Yeah, because he just he just he's on his own. His wife's been killed. In one of the, I suppose he has this really bit. awesomely huge house where he um he sort of potters around and tries to remove all the fiery cockroaches and has the weirdest kitchen door I've ever seen. It's like <laughs> this raised barn door thing that just has no no place in in modern living. And um, and then yeah, unfortunately he misses one of these things and yeah. uh, and it, it sets fire to his house and his wife. So he goes off to this shack near the fissure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and decides once again to become obsessed with making these creatures breed. Yeah, we, and the thing is that, like, that's the thing. So he was already quite interested in them. Fine, I get that. He's a biologist, but I don't care. 
but they've killed his wife. Why would he suddenly like? So his wife's dead. So now he thinks I'll make it so these things that killed my wife can reproduce. Yeah, I, mean, I, what, I what's what's the reason? I guess him? he's trying to study them. But what he does in a slightly even weirder move is ask one of his students to make him a pressure chamber, which he does, employing. <laughs> An old school diving helmet, like an old school bronze diving helmet, which everyone has lying around, <laughs> and just increases the weirdness of the whole thing. So there's a madman living in a <laughs> living in a shack, obsessed with cockroach reproduction, and is and he's got a bed and a diving helmet. I know, and just this this brings me to my favourite bad line in this film, when they're talking about the fact that his wife's dead, and someone says, "Isn't she reason enough to build a pressure tank?" <laughs> There's just something about it that really... The Mary G. Harper Memorial Pressure Tank. <laughs> Shall we just quickly say, is this a recommend for No, you? not really. It's it's definitely <laughs> not terrible. It's definitely not terrible. And actually, I, I don't know, maybe is it a recommend? It's definitely not on a void. I, I enjoyed watching it for the, for the silly levels and for the fact that it's kind of like, it is, uh, you know... A, it actually won a whole... got nominated for a whole bunch of awards, this thing. But it's like yeah. a 70s sort of like... Um, silly horror movie it's not bad like I, I definitely wouldn't say avoid it I've definitely it. seen worse I've definitely seen worse but I, I, you know, I wouldn't say rush it you're wasting your life if you do not go out and see the 1975 version of Bargain <laughs> but um, I would watch it for uh, some of the moments coming up in a bit actually um, but I, I'd watch it for the, for the descent into madness and I'd say watch it for the comedy of the, of the, of the mutant cockroaches he creates so if we have we said by the way who 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 plays the main guy? No, we have not mentioned it. So let's say it's Bradford Dillman. Yes, who I recognised. <laughs> like, like, I just think it's I. I've it's such I've an awesome up name. On IMDb. I know it's an amazing Dillman. name, isn't it? But I I I knew I knew him from something, and I couldn't quite remember what. But it's it's Piranha. It's Piranha. Piranha yeah. I used to have on video, and I watched that quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, he's a leader um, Piranha. And he. And then, and from looking on IMDb, he did lots of TV work in the nineties, and like, he's so got I reckon such I also recognise him from. Yeah, yeah. So I think I recognise him from like watching old Dynasty and watching old. He looks like he should be the villain of Magnum PI a lot. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, and and but I think he's really good in this. And I think there are a couple of as in good as in in a. I don't mean as in wow, he's you know King Lear his performance. I see. Just, I'm, I'm there's something quite fun about this because there are some just truly truly awful bits of face acting he does. No, where things that, are happening that, with his face I, is just I, like I, the ticks and things across it. Are just... I know. I, I I think I I I think I should. Ex- that's kind of what I'm saying. Okay. I just think he, he, I find watching his performance quite fun. I don't necessarily mean that it's, <laughs> he needs it's perfect acting by any means. But like, there's that ridiculous scene quite near the beginning when the squirrel scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when he suddenly starts going like, "There's a squirrel." He's basically so he's this professor who's taking a lecture and he starts making a kind of oh, <laughs> he talked to a squirrel, little squirrel essentially. Yeah. and that was just absolutely ridiculous. But I immediately thought, okay, I'm going to enjoy this. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. Performance. So he he takes he takes the fiery cockroach and he decides yeah. to breed it with a regular cockroach to find out what happens. And of it creates it does, this, as anyone would, as anyone would. <laughs> I mean, the amount of times I've wished I had a converted diver's helmet named in the honor of my dead wife, so that I could breed cockroaches. <laughs> so um, he uh, he decides to breed it with a regular cockroach. He creates this new sort of super mutant strain. Um, and then they all look a bit hardcore. They've got like horns on their heads. And he leaves them in this kind of wire mesh box. Yeah. And he goes and he, and he decides to have a steak, as you do. 
Um, and he puts his stake on the side, turns round, and the cockroaches have escaped from my mesh box and eaten the stake. At which point he goes, blimey. Um, chucks them all back in the box, gives them a bit more steak to eat. And then after noticing that the meat-eating aggressive cockroaches can get out of the box, which has an easily lock- lockable lid, purposefully decides not to bother locking the lid. <laughs> and then goes to sleep. <laughs> yeah, and then goes to sleep. <laughs> then he is massively shocked to find himself being attacked by them. Yeah. And what is strange, and I couldn't work out with the suggestion whether he's like, whether they think of him as daddy or not. Yeah, there was some weird... Like, so, so, so things that we, like we've done before, I mean, uh, things to watch this this movie for is for the most ridiculous scene in bug-related horror history. <laughs> when the cockroaches just start spelling words on the wall to him. Oh, good. I was wondering when we'd get to this. I'm glad you brought this up, because, yeah. Cause but I... This is the thing. This is the thing, but like, okay, so the bloke who made this, the bloke who produced it, is like a Roger Corman type figure. I've forgotten his name all of a sudden, but like, oh, sorry. I have got it written down in my notes. Castle. Um... William Castle. Oh yes, and this is more or less the last film he was involved in, and he's like, you know, he he, but he's definitely a Roger Corman figure, yeah. and he was a master of gimmickry, blah de blah. But the thing is that 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 whole ridiculous bit with the bugs spelling words, <laughs> I just thought that sounds like the kind of idea that someone on a low budget, you know, because yeah. <laughs> how cheap would that effect be? It know? is the most ridiculous thing in the world, but at the same time, oh, no. I kind of loved it for its most ridiculous thing in the world nature. Totally agree. Um, that whole that the whole last ten minutes is worth watching the whole um, first well, like seventy well, minutes. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is the kind of film where I wouldn't necessarily recommend you do watch the whole thing. I recommend you watch maybe the first five minutes and see if you're enjoying it, but then hop ahead just to watch silly things and try and look out for the squirrel scene that we described. Yeah. I think that's fun. It's funny because like, the director whose name I cannot begin to pronounce because I think it's Hungarian because it's got lots of Z's and W's in. Jenoch yeah. Schwarz, who is French, I think, did Jaws yeah. two. He yeah, did, and the, which I, which I quite like. It's nowhere near Jaws, yeah. like, you know, don't get me wrong. Well, an interesting, and guess did, what was released? Dude, 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 before you go on, hmm. I'll definitely come back to you, but what was released three days after Bug? Jaws. Jaws. Mm. Isn't that an interesting, cool thought? Like, in the summer of 75, yeah, yeah. you had this coming out and doing quite well, apparently, from IMDb. Like, it, you know, did did respectably well. And Jaws, and then, you know, the ultimate. Jaws, which suddenly just it creates the summer blockbuster and, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, as you say, I, I I saw that too that the director of this did Jaws two, and what else were you he, did, say he, he did? He did the Helen Slater Supergirl as well, which I watched a lot of because my sister watched it on repeat. <laughs> oh, really? <Yeah. laughs> cool. Because I, I think you know, I, I don't think it was a badly put together movie necessarily. Like the early scenes, um, I, I've got my little note here, so it reminds me slightly of the Omen. It just has that like slightly foreboding mm. feel. It's kind of that very sparse seventies kind of stripped down thing. Yeah. Um, but, but I think yeah, I it do does think become, like Bradford it does become Elman, a bit you know, ridiculous. Yeah, and I think the acting is a bit TV. I think. Yeah, it did. Did I mean this does feel like a B movie? It does oh, feel like a Roger Corman movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm going to put it in the C box again. Yeah, I, I think. I, would say, I think I'm. I'm, I'm going to say a minor a C minus. C minus. Let's go with C minus. Um, mm. I'm up. I'm up for that. I think. Um, for me, I, I felt a lot less warm about it than I did about Ten Point No Earthquake, which. Was just a yeah. funny romp. This, uh, yeah, I think you know. Once someone, when someone says, "Let's make the cockroaches spell words on the wall," and no one says that's a terrible idea, <laughs> then uh, then you know that the production has gone slightly awry. 
Yeah, and the thing is as well, like when we did um, science fiction, the the film we watched together was in the remake of Invaders from Mars. Yeah, and the thing is that was terrible. But there was, I felt a lot of warmth towards it. I enjoyed the ride. This one, I didn't enjoy the ride so much. I, I haven't lost. I, I don't feel like I've lost out watching it. But I certainly don't think I'm going to be buying it for anyone as a Christmas present. No. So, good. Three movies down. Um, one really enjoyable one. One yeah. historically interesting one, and one yeah. sort of yeah, one with cockroaches that can spell. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about Bug, dude. Uh, no, no, that's fine. I think it was a good, it was a good place to. Start and it's an interesting with. thing, actually. No, I mean another interesting thing just to say is that like the the William Castle. So I just hit the microphone, but William Castle, the guy who produced it, I think that it led me to read more about him. And it's and I think I'm pleased that I watched this because uh, I read a bit more about him. He, he, I mean, mm-hmm. he did House on Haunted Hill. Yeah. He also produced Rosemary's Baby. You know, and he, and he was just he, he was a master of like. Um, gimmicky stuff and I just thought it's going to make me watch a few more of his films or, or, or you know so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to myself <laughs> for choosing this film so I can read and study more about him or something no I think that's I mean? yeah that's a, that's a nice silver lining I think it's pretty it's, yeah. it's a decent takeaway yeah um, so anyway but um, so what's the next genre because it's your turn to choose it is my turn to choose one thing we seem to keep doing is ending up watching horror movies so yeah. I wanted to choose something that couldn't be a horror movie and I say this and I'm probably going to find out when I pick one of these movies just going to end up being a horror movie um, musicals but uh, and I wanted to watch, see uh, do a genre that maybe people wouldn't necessarily pick and that I wouldn't necessarily pick although okay uh, so I'm going to go with sports films sports films yeah. oh good one yeah good, good, very good idea yeah, yeah. So, I mean I watched all of Friday Night Lights through Netflix so. oh yes I love Friday Night Lights yeah mm. um, but it's uh yeah it's it's a genre. There's some, you know, there's some obvious classics. There's some great movies. Um, I love any given Sunday. I think that's just. You see, now this is an interesting thing. I really, 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 really want to watch any given Sunday. I have still not, not, not watched any given Sunday. I've watched scenes from any given Sunday on YouTube <laughs> and thought I really want to see this film, I'm but I've still not definitely watched definitely not so. giving you any given Sunday. It's way too big a movie. <laughs> no, I don't think it's on there. Otherwise, I would have watched it. Yeah, that's true. It's on something or other, though. But um, it? well, of course, it's on something or other. Just kicked me in the face. Um, yeah, so I thought I would go with uh, sports movies because there's, there's cool. hopefully some like some unseen classics in there. Like I say, it's not going to end up as a horror movie. No. Will you be including sports comedy movies like Happy Gilmore, like Blades of Glory? There is because there are a lot of those. I'm I'm ideally going to avoid them. Okay. If I need to start scraping the bottom of the barrel, I may end up in a sports comedy. I'm not sure that I, I, I'm not sure that. Well, I don't know. Happy Gilmore, maybe you can call it a sports movie. Um, it's definitely a sports movie. It's all about freaking golf. <laughs> that's true. Um, <laughs> but there's yeah, there are a whole bunch of sports movies out there, and so they could be great. Like when they're done well, I, they're they're great fun. Mm. Although I think, as I may have said before, I don't really dig Rocky. So uh, yeah, it's a genre that I'm not as. Well, know. don't worry. We I've seen Rocky. So, don't, and I don't so think it's on Netflix. Do you, do you, either, do you think so. others have seen it though? <laughs> I think others may have. Oh, fine. Yeah. Well, I'll avoid that one then. But um, yes, next time we'll have uh, three sports movies to talk about, and cool. uh, hopefully find something better than a than a C. Yeah, I'm very excited. Great, good choice. So am I. Pumped. Pumped. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> You're at all. All right. No, I genuinely am. It's gonna be cool.